Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I um, I had two experiences this week that uh, um, were were quite impactful for me. One, I um, I have this condition called severe anemia, and so I have to uh, every six months I go into an infusion center, oncology center, and get an infusion, and, and I'm in there for about five hours. Nothing, nothing life threatening, um, but. I was, I was sitting in there after the third time she had poked me, missed the first time, thought she had missed the second time, pulled it out, and the blood just kind of spurted. And, um, and I was just really feeling very sorry for myself, you know? Um, and then I heard the woman next door, uh, the nurses saying to her, so what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Um, she said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I usually take care of everything, but it just hurts to even go to the bathroom. She's there for chemotherapy, you know. She's listing off all her medications, and I'm sitting there feeling so grateful. Um, So grateful that um, this little experience is ridiculous compared to what so many of these patients are going through. Um, and then two days later, Steph and I are in a, in a pastor's gathering, and um, these pastors are, are, are talking about their congregations and their challenges, and I'm just looking at Steph, and I'm like, that's not my experience. I mean, I love our community. <laughs> I think our community is amazing. I think our community is awesome, sacrificial, and... Um, and we're looking at each other, and eventually I, I had to say something in, in that context. And I, I just found myself boasting on you guys, just so deeply grateful. Um, there's a lot of things we don't have. I'm staring at a basketball hoop, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of things that, that I wish, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the cathedral and the candles and the incense, and all of you are getting real nervous right now, but... There's a lot of things we don't have, but, but in the season of gratitude, I just thought, actually, I felt led to just teach on gratitude. And when I thought of gratitude, I thought about Paul and his letter to the Philippians. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. This is a church that Paul and Silas planted, and they planted it with the help and support of Lydia, a businesswoman, and they planted it, and two of their primary converts are a demonized slave girl and the prison officer that put them in prison for actually saving and restoring the slave girl. This is how this church started. Um, And so he writes this letter, which is known as probably the longest, most theological thank you note. He, He writes Philippians as a thank you note for the financial provision that this church has given Paul. But we know the letter of the Philippians is so much more than that. It's a, it's a letter that drips with joy and affection. It's also a very gritty letter because it's in that letter that he calls out two people in the middle of the church and says, hey, you and you, you better behave yourselves. You're causing problems. It's, it's a, a letter that teaches us the, the weird kind of countercultural balance between ultimate humility and power in Jesus Christ. 
It's a letter that gives us the antidote to anxiety that God will complete what He has started, not only in you as an individual, but in us as a church. And though we are in exile, we have been given the privilege of being kingdom agents that are engaging this world, much like what you saw up here. We have an opportunity to open a window into what the kingdom of heaven looks like by bringing restoration and bringing safety for one young child. We get to picture for people what the ultimate kingdom will look like. So let's read out of Philippians 4, verses 10 to 23. I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. As I said, Paul is writing to the Philippians. This is near the end of his letter where he finally gets to the thanks. I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned but had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Still, you have done well to share in my distress. You Philippians know that from the time of my first mission work in Macedonia, how no church shared in supporting my ministry except you. You sent contributions repeatedly to take care of my needs, even when I was in Thessalonica. Now, I'm not hoping for a gift, but I am hoping for a profit that accumulates in your account. And I have plenty, and it is more than enough. I am full to overflowing because I have received the gifts that you sent from Epaphroditus. Those gifts give off a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God, my God, will meet your every need out of the riches of His glory that is found in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Have any of you guys ever been part of the pitch-in gift? Hey, let's pitch in and get so-and-so something. It's kind of awkward, right? Because the thing is like 500 bucks. And you're like, well, how many of us are pitching in? Is it 50? Is it two? You know, like... How is this going to work? It's, it's kind of an awkward thing. What's also awkward is when you receive a pitch-in gift. Um, and so for my birthday, um, I had the privilege, some people gave me individual gifts and some people pitched in for a new computer. And I, I don't know how to thank people because I don't know the level of their engagement in the pitch-in gift, you know? I don't know whether Priscilla gave a dollar uh, you know, because technically, if she gave a dollar and she signed the card, she pitched in, you know? Um, I don't know if someone gave $1,000. I, I don't know what the deal is. And so these, these pitch-in gifts are a little awkward. This is what Paul has received. He's received a pitch-in gift. He doesn't know who gave, how much. What he knows, though, is that the church has sacrificed on his behalf. The other challenge that I have with this is he doesn't really sound very thankful, Am I the only one that's picking this up? I'm not saying this because I need anything, he says. Imagine you got your thank you card from someone. Hey, um, Betsy, um, I didn't need this. Um, I, I'm not saying this because I've learned to be content without my computer. So I'm like, this is not a good way to, to start this whole thing of gratitude. 
Not that I'm seeking or hoping for a gift, he says in verse 17. So what is going on? He really wants them to know that he's not trying to manipulate them and that he's thankful for the right thing. He's thankful for them. He's not just, he's not thankful for the money that they've given. He's thankful for them. He's, his gratitude is focused on what the gift represents. And the gift that they've given represents that the Philippian church is maturing. It represents that the Philippian church is sacrificial, that it's joined him in partnership, and that they are becoming more Christ-focused. He's more grateful for their partnership than their financial investment. I want you to picture this. You, you called one of your best friends, you know, and I, I've said this before. You have friends, you have airport friends, and then you have LAX friends, right? And, and you've, you've called your friend, and you've said, hey, um, could you please take me to the airport? And the first question anyone asks you is, which one, right? Which one? And you're like, LAX, okay. And then on the other end of the phone, you hear, the deep sigh, right? What time? Eight o'clock. This is really testing our friendship, right? And so what happens is you're waiting out there, it's eight o'clock, and an Uber arrives. Right? Right. Why, Priscilla? Why? Ooh. Ultimately, you're going to get to the airport. Ultimately, your friend has provided a way for you to get to the airport, but it is kind of a slap in the face, right? I mean, imagine that was you. You're sitting there waiting. Someone's going to pick you up. The Uber comes and says, are you Nick? I'm like, sure, I am. (laughs) Why? Because there's an element of friendship and partnership that we are expecting when we make that request. We often give in areas where it costs us the least. If we have lots of time, we're happy to give our time. We have lots of money, we're happy to give our money. Partnership is so much more than that. Because true partnership is a multifaceted thing. True partnership isn't just money, it isn't just time or love, it is all these things. One of the things that I want to ask as we come to this season of being grateful and gratitude and thanksgiving is, are we grateful for the people we are in partnership with? Those that are in our life groups, those that are in our community, and not just in terms of Mercy Commons, are we grateful for the other Jesus-loving preaching churches in this city that are working for the common good and peace of our city? The challenge we have is that discontentment makes gratitude very, very difficult. And so we are living in a culture that is designed to and actively trains us to be discontent. All of the advertising has this underpinning layer of, you deserve this. And it's actually not even an underpinning layer. Literally, you deserve this. Go and get it. Or, isn't it time? That's my favorite one. Isn't it time for a new car? Like, what do you base that on? Just, oh yes, it's time for a new car. Let's just go get one, you know? Isn't it time? Don't you deserve this? And the challenge is, um, in, in this context, Paul is talking there are, there are two competing kind of philosophies. The one is Stoicism, and the other one is Hedonism. Now, Stoics are those people that try and gain contentment through denial. I know how I'm going to deal with this culture of discontentment. I'm going to deny that I have any needs. 
Now, Paul says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned whatever state I'm in to be content or self-sufficient. Now, Paul is using this word, and the word content, when properly translated, means independent or self-sufficient, but this can be confusing. What is he doing? Is Paul telling us that we are to emotionally amputate ourselves and deny ourselves. No, he's using a pun. He's using a phrase, just like he does in his other letters, to actually show you how ridiculous that is. This specific word is only ever used once in the Bible. It's used here in Philippians because it's a philosophical and secular term of the Stoics. So this is a quote from one of the Stoics, and he says this, begin with a cup or a household utensil. If it breaks, say, I don't care. Go onto a horse or pet dog. If anything happens to it, say, I don't care. Go onto yourself, and if you're hurt or injured in any way, I don't care. If you go on long enough, and if you try hard enough, and that's the key here, if you try hard enough, you can come to a stage where you can watch your nearest and dearest suffer and die and say, I don't care. That's not what Paul is challenging the Philippians to do. He's not saying, I want you to reach this place of contentment through self-denial, emotional amputation. I want you to gain a contentment in Jesus. I want you to understand that these difficult circumstances create an opportunity for Jesus to strengthen you, for His strength to be infused in you so that you are able to deal with difficult circumstances. Well, if we aren't going to gain contentment through denial, the other way that we can gain contentment is through indulgence. Okay, I'm going to be content by not having any expectations and not desiring anything, or I'm going to reach contentment by fulfilling all of my appetites. So we have the Stoics on the one side, and we have the Hedonists on the other side. Now, I'm definitely not a Stoic. I said to Karen, if I didn't get saved when I was 18, I'd probably be dead or in prison because I am driven by the pleasure principle. I thank God that pleasure principle has been redeemed in my life. And it's not the sense of like, I don't get to taste pleasure anymore. It's a sense of like the pleasure that I experience is an everlasting pleasure, a deep joy, something that I don't have to constantly fight for or feel guilty about. In our striving, our modern-day hedonism seems to be a little more enlightened. So we've moved from this idea that you'll be happy if you have stuff. And so we, we are now definitely more enlightened. Our pursuits, our hedonistic pursuits, are more about experience, about power and influence. And so we think that we are more enlightened, we think that we are more content, but instead of chasing money and possessions, we are chasing experiences to fulfill our needs. What Paul shows us is that gratitude and contentment is a learnt posture. Those of you that are parents will know that no child has ever come to their parents and said when they're three or four years, I just want to say I've been thinking about how much you give me. I've been thinking about the sacrifices that you make that as a parent, I just want you to know that I'm so deeply, deeply grateful for what you do. <laughs> that ever happened? No. Why? Because as parents, what do we do? We teach our children to be grateful. It's one of our jobs. It's one of the ways that we disciple our children. We teach them to be grateful. 
Paul says in verse 12, I know the experience of being in need, of having more than enough. I have learned the secret or been a student of being content in each and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. He never says, I have found a way never to be hungry. He didn't say that. He said, I found a way to be content in any and every circumstance. And one of the ways that he does that is he unlocks that with the key of gratitude. Because he says to the Philippians, if you want to avoid the trap of anxiety, what you do is you come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Now, there's a professor called Robert Imams, and he was part of a thing called the Gratitude Project, how science and thankfulness, sorry, how the science of thankfulness can rewire our brains for resilience, optimism, and the greater good. It's a fantastic project. And this is a quote from the project. Practicing gratitude magnifies positive feelings more than it reduces negative feelings. If we've learned one thing from the science of gratitude is that there is no resilience without gratitude. It's impossible. Gratitude is absolutely indispensable for growing an unshakable core of calm, strength, and happiness. Gratitude helps us recover from loss and trauma. Gratitude widens the perceptual field. In other words, it helps us to see a bigger picture and helps us, oh, there, and helps us see the bigger picture. <laughs> And the opportunities in it. And of course, it connects people together. How do we pursue contentment? It's not the removal of things that make us uncomfortable. And it's not the pursuit of things we, will, we believe will make us comfortable. It is the learned, ex exercised, and developed skill of being grateful for the circumstances that you're in, and also for the joys that you are receiving that affect our lives emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Now, the key is verse 13 here. How many of you know verse 13 in a different sense? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Can we show that, right? It's what I call the weightlifters kind of you know, like you see it tattooed on people, UFC fighters have it, you know what I mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we believe, and, and we've taken this verse out of context, to believe that if I set my mind to something, then Jesus will join me in my desire and give it to me if I do it. No, listen to the more accurate translation. I can endure all these things. What, verse 13 comes after Paul saying a number of things. I've been rich, and I've been poor, and rich is better. That's what he's saying in this context. But what he's saying in verse 13 is, I can endure all of these different things by the power of the one who gives me strength. It is Christ in me that enables me to deal with the vicissitudes of life. I love that word. I was going to use it. I know very few people don't know what it means. It means ups and downs. How much nicer is vicissitude, right? I know. The vicissitudes of life. I sound like, I don't know, the Jungle Book? Does it sound like a Jungle Book song? Anyway. The bare necessities, the vicissitudes, it rhymes, okay? It is the power of Christ that infuses me 
this is important, to the extent that, I, that I'm imitating his nature and participating in his mission. All three chapters of, uh, of the book of Philippians previously were basically saying, align yourself with the nature of Christ. Are you imitating his nature? Are you participating in his mission? This is not a magic potion. This is not a spell. It's not some kind of once-off deposit. Gratitude is not a spiritual gift. You can't say, well, gratitude isn't my gift. It's not what I have. That's not how this works, because it is a learned posture. Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8, don't be anxious about anything in all situations, good or bad. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in prayer and petition, along with giving thanks. That's key here, along with giving thanks. When I was sitting in that, um, in that hospital bed, I'm not saying, God, thank you that I'm here. I'm saying, God, thank you that I'm not there. Thank you that actually, when she says, it, my bones hurt, is that weird? And the nurse is like, no, that's unfortunately normal. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we've got to glory in the things that are wrong. But one of the things that we can do is say, oh God, I'm so thankful that actually I get to get up with my own strength. I get to drive my car and I don't need someone to come and help me out of this chair. I'm grateful for that. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe or will guard, garrison, protect, encamp around your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So how do we do this? Uh, you, you probably asked the question, so Paul knows. This is how you do it. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. Focus your thoughts on these things. Anything that is true, anything that is holy, anything that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, all that is worthy of praise... This takes intentionality, it takes thoughtfulness, and it takes regularity. This is how we avoid the trap of being discontent. This is how we learn to operate in a spirit of gratitude, intentionality, thoughtfulness, regularity. That's why I love Thanksgiving and hate Black Friday. I don't get it. We gather together to talk about how thankful we are, and then beat the stuffing out of God's image bearers so we can get a cheap TV on Friday. I don't get it. I don't get it. And we know things have shifted. COVID has shifted that whole thing. But the reality is, is that the amount of energy that is going into finding the next deal, the Black Friday deal, are we putting the same amount of energy and intentionality into saying, God, Open my heart. Show me what I can be grateful for. Show me who I can be grateful for. Show me what kind of season I can be grateful for. I want to talk about as we... As we no, not, we're not close to landing. I want to talk about four things. <laughs> See, you know? Aren't you glad? Anyway. These are areas where I think a lot of people would say, I don't know that we could be grateful about those things. It kind of seems a little weird for us to be grateful about those things. One of those things is for your possessions. Are you grateful for your possessions? 
the Philippians gave Paul actual money. Money is not evil. Paul wrote to the Philippians with deep gratitude for what he received from them. We should be grateful for our possessions. I'll give you some stats, though, on our possessions. Uh, a Swiss bank says that if you have a net worth, and net worth means all of your assets, if you were to sell them, this is what your net worth is for, um, outside of your liabilities, 93000 170 US dollars is enough to make you richer than 90% of the people around the world. So if you have $90,000 in assets, you are richer than 90% of people in the world. And most of you are like, okay, that's not me. What about this? If you have just $4,210 to your name, you are still richer than half of the world's residents. 4,210 bucks. This should cause us to be grateful. Grateful for what we have. Grateful for the opportunity to be generous and to share it. The Philippian church was a poor church. We know that because when Paul talks to the Corinthian church, who was a rich church, he uses the Philippian church as an example. And he says, those guys gave out of their lack. Now, he, he didn't do this and say, come on, guys. You guys are way richer. But he kind of just put that seed in there. And he said, the churches in Macedonia, the Philippian church, they gave over and above. Now, generosity is not about margin. It's about attitude. You know why? This is one of the most interesting, interesting things. Try and find a generous, discontented person. Try. You won't. A person is generous leads to contentment. A person who's content leads to generosity. A person who's discontent will be a bit of a scrooge. Do I see my finances as God's kindness to me, or do I see my finances as something I deserve because I worked hard for this? Ask yourself the question, do I believe I own this, or am I a steward of this? And this is the ultimate test. You can buy whatever you want, spend however much money you want on it. This is the test. Will you let anybody borrow it? The latest Nike Jordans, a car, golf clubs. This is where you can see, am I a steward or do I believe that I deserve these things? Now, within reason, I'm not going to let a three-year-old borrow my laptop, okay? But the way I can see if something owns me or if I own something is if someone says, can I borrow it? If I'm not tied to it, it'll be easy to do that. I was not supposed to spend a lot of time on that. Am I grateful for the people in my life? Paul consistently talks with love and affection. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. As God is my witness, I feel affection for or I yearn for you. I'm going to send you Timothy. I have no one like him. He's a person who genuinely cares about your well-being. He talks about Epaphroditus. He's my brother. He's my co-worker, my fellow soldier, and your representatives and serves my needs. He misses you all and was upset because, he, because you heard he was sick. This is a guy who feels bad that the Philippian church feels bad because they heard he was sick. 
Epaphroditus, Timothy, the Philippians, a whole chapter in Romans where Paul names people by name, thank so-and-so, greet so-and-so, that God through his Holy Spirit has preserved in the scripture to show us that individuals matter and thanking people individually is important. It's preserved in scripture for us. And there are people in your life that aren't necessarily doing dramatic things, but you know that there are people in your life when you see them, you just feel better. You know things are going to be okay. You feel safe around them. You feel known around them. Do they know that you feel that around them? Tell them. I'm not good at this. I'm good at the secondary thing. I'm good at saying to Karen, man, every time Sean is there, I feel like everything's going to be okay. And Karen's like, you should tell him. Yeah, I should. And I often don't. And this is, I just did. This is an opportunity that is for real. That's not just an example. And many of you feel the same. That is something we should do to each other when you're around. Thank you for doing this. Am I grateful for my season or my specific circumstance? Paul was in prison, shipwrecked, beaten, hungry, in jail. Again, he's not grateful for that specific thing. But he's grateful for the fact that every season will have a joy and a struggle attached to it. Let me say this. Whatever season you're in, if you're a pregnant mom, if you're a young dad, if your career is well on its way, if it's just starting, if you are single or married, widowed, whatever the case might be, someone wants to be in your season. And you're sitting and thinking, man, I wish I was in that season. I'm, I'm listening to all the parents say, oh, my kids, it's so crazy, it's chaotic. And, and I, we're in a season now where we're like, I, I don't know how much longer our kids are going to be in the house. It's a different season. Someone wants to be in your season. Are you grateful for the season that you're in? I remember talking to someone um, who was retired, and I said to her, what you've got to realize is that you have more time and money than you ever thought you would have. What is God inviting you into? Instead of the empty nest, instead of the things that are difficult, and those are, those are difficult. But what could God be inviting you into in this next season? Am I grateful for the detours in my life? Paul says, uh, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian God and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. He does not, believe it or not, because when you read Acts, it's hard to figure this out. Paul does not have a strategy to be in prison. That's not his strategy. His strategy is not like, let me go to the prisons. That'll, he, he didn't want to establish a prison ministry. He ends up in prison. He ends up shipwrecked. He ends up beaten. He ends up in all those places. And in all those things, he's saying, okay, God, you are in this detour. There are some of you here this morning that are in a detour. And you're so mad about the detour that you're not able to say, well, what is happening? The whole Praetorian God is hearing the gospel. And he continues, most of, and I love his accuracy, not all of, most of the brothers and sisters have more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly because of my jail time. 
He's less concerned about his own circumstances and more concerned about the spread of the gospel, his friend's well-being, and the state of the church. When we are in an unexpected situation, it's an opportunity for verse 13 to be strengthened in Christ, to be empowered so that when I'm weak, he infuses me with strength. This is difficult for me because when things go wrong, I don't crumble. I'm like, we can fix this. So when there's a detour, my immediate response is, how do I get back on the right track? Not, oh, this is nice. Look, we're on a detour and this is all pretty. That's what Karen does, which frustrates me, you know. But look, there's the ocean. The ocean should not be on our left. The ocean should be on our right. We are going the wrong way. This is a detour. But look how, look how pretty, you know. Uh, she's not trying to placate me. Well, maybe she is. She, you know, she is one of those people that in the detour is like, there's joy here. This is pretty. It changes the way we view our detours. And lastly, can I be grateful for my emotions? Um, this is hard. I'm not talking about people that struggle with clinical depression and anxiety. I'm not asking you to be grateful about that, but Paul's talking about... These emotions, joy, anxiety, love, longing, yearning, straining, affection, frustration. We all have these emotions. And part of the challenge in all of this is that sometimes I think we as men believe we don't have emotions. But a friend of mine said, I've never seen a woman pick up a remote control and throw it at the TV. Never seen that. Never seen that. I think certainly in my life, I'm emotional about less things but I'm probably emotional about the wrong things, right? Like football or fantasy football. Yes, they're emotional. You know. Wasn't asking for agreement, but, but I'll take that. Oh, for the seasons when my children were young, you know. I don't think we're grateful enough for our emotions, positive, negative, or neutral, because we don't see them as invitations that God is trying to tell us something about ourselves. We see it as something to get through or something to give into. So just like the Stoics and the Hedonists, I'm not feeling this, or if I am, I'm going to deny it, or I'm just going to wallow in it. And Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying, be grateful. This is, this is how I feel about you. Even in his letter, his emotional kind of, um, where he is emotionally kind of ebbs and flows. But the one thing that remains constant is that my emotions are an invitation to engage God and to say, God, what are you wanting me to see that is true, that is upright, that is noble, that is praiseworthy? Because in this moment, in my sadness, in my frustration, it's really hard to see that. I need the strength of Christ to infuse me so I can see that. Band, you can come up. You know, intentional gratitude is the thing that works against our first parents' sin. What is our first parents' sin? Our first parents are Adam and Eve. And one of the things that they did was a sense of lack of gratitude. God says, here is this entire garden. You can have anything you want from here. 
but don't eat from this tree. And what happens? They zero in on that one thing instead of being so grateful for what God has provided. We stand here and we're saying, yes, God, I, I, I want to be grateful for my possessions. I want to be grateful for my relationships. I want to find gratitude in the season that I'm in. I want to find gratitude in the detours that I'm on. Even the emotions that I know are kind of causing a little bit of stress in me. I, I want to find gratitude in that. But the reason I can find gratitude in that is because I've been rescued by your grace. Because none of this is possible without Christ who infuses me with strength. This is just do more, try harder. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying these are all an opportunity for you to express gratitude and see the power of God come through in your life. Salvation is a gift. It is not earned. And the proper response for a gift is gratitude. Have any of you been in a situation where someone receives a gift and they're not grateful? It's so awkward. It's so weird. Like the whole environment changes. And like, if you're like me, you're like, this is an amazing gift. Thank you for giving it to her. You know, you, 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 when someone has given something that is worth gratitude and gratitude is not the response, it affects everything. And when God has given His Son to walk on this earth and experience what we experienced, to die on the cross, to be able to deal with the penalty of our sins, to be raised and seated at the right hand of God, to flood us with His Holy Spirit so that we are not only adopted into His family, but able to be co-workers in the renewal of all things, and we don't come with a posture of gratitude, that makes me feel a little weird. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to read a liturgy of thankfulness. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to read this together, and then we're going to go straight into a song. Father, I want to thank you for your deep love and affection for us. And I want to pray, Father God, for my friends that are struggling when they look at their positions, their seasons, uh, where they look at, their, at the detours in their lives, where, where they look at their emotional life and struggle to find something that is true and noble and praiseworthy and upright. I want to pray, Spirit of God, that you would just freshly descend upon us and help us to see with eyes of contentment as recipients of the most amazing gift we could ever receive. Okay, let's read together. God, eternal and righteous one, created the heavens and the earth. We give you thanks for breath that fills us with your life, for love that softens our hearts, for beauty revealed at every turn, Christ redeeming and forgiving one, who is always faithful and merciful. We give you thanks for renewal, transforming our lives, 
for peace, calming the chaos of our souls, for hope, restoring our faith. Spirit sustaining and compassionate one, who calls us into relationship with the living God, we give you thanks for caring when our hearts are aching, for friends supportive in times of need, for generosity lavish and overflowing. We, uh, we hold in our hands um, the tangible reminder of the gift that's been given to us, the tangible reminder that Jesus uh, entered the uncomfortable for our sake. Um, he became uncomfortable for us, for the joy that was set before him, which is us, to pull us into relationship with him. Uh, and he took us on as true partners, too. He says to each of us, follow me. Um, it struck me as Nick was walking through the, just the different lists of, of gratitude and what he said at the end about it. It's just not trying harder. It's just not about like, okay, just will yourself to, to, to become all of these things. And even what we said earlier about the striving to enter rest, that part of how we, we strive is the recognition of who Christ is. And it just struck me as like, this all involves a release, a letting go is the first thing. There's things that you're discontent about or have been holding on to that's in a sense robbing you from a posture of receiving grace and responding in gratitude. The, the Christian life is about letting go and receiving what God has done for us. So I just want to give us a, just a moment of pause and we're going to bring it to an end. I know we're running a little bit long, but I want you to pause now and just think of, is there something that you've been gripping a little too tight in your life, a certain expectation, a particular hope, something that God would give you the opportunity to release so that you could receive the grace that he has for you. Let's pause and, and consider that. Lord, we choose to let go of the things that we grip a little too tightly to. We let go of those things and we receive the bread. We receive the grace that is given to us in this bread and in this cup. We take first the bread in remembrance of you. We also receive the cup that deals with our sin once and for all. And we take this in remembrance of you. Lord, as best we know how to release the things that we've held on to and to receive your grace, we respond in gratitude. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for all that you give to us. Thank you that even in the places we're still yet ignorant and don't understand all that you do for us and are continuing to do for us, that your posture towards us in Christ is consistent and loving and true and sure. And so we say thank you in our understanding and we say thank you for the things we don't yet understand. We love you. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful for one another. Thank you for giving us a family to do life with, 
to partner with and to try to follow you as best we can with one another. And the church said together, amen. Amen. The band's going to continue to play. Listen, if you need prayer this morning, there's going to be people to my left, to your right. Uh, We're officially kind of uh, done for this portion, but we always love to hang out around the back. But if you, you, need, you need prayer, specifically of lifting your head to, to see God, to enter in, there's maybe something you're kind of struggling with, please receive prayer before, uh, before you leave. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving this week. Go and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.